college football playoff is looking to the Super Bowl for inspiration in its next media rights deal. Plus, we'll talk about Sports Illustrated's pick for Sports Person of the Year, and later we'll hear from Ed McCaffrey, an NFL legend in his own right and father to MVP contender Christian McCaffrey. It's Friday, December 1st. Welcome to the final month of the year. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The college football playoff is taking a page from the Super Bowl as it negotiates its next media rights deal. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports senior writer Mike McCarthy. Welcome, Mike. Great to be here, Owen. Yeah, great to have you. So you've been reporting on the latest media negotiations for the college football playoff. What's the latest here? Yes, myself and Amanda Kristovich broke the news today that for its next big media rights deal, um, college football playoff wants to take a page at the old NFL playbook and have multiple media partners rotating the college football national championship game every year. I mean, think of the way the NFL has been doing it with the Super Bowl 50 years. It rotates between CBS, NBC, and Fox. So three different networks get a, ch- a crack at it. Three different networks promote it. Three different networks bring ratings. That's going to be the idea here for the CFP. They don't want to just be stuck with one exclusive partner, ESPN. They want multiple partners who all could potentially show the biggest game in college football. And do you get a sense that the CFP is, in fact, big enough to pull something like this off? I do. Uh, and here's why. You know, everybody's been telling me, Owen, that this sports rights bubble is going to pop. Well, I've been hearing it for 15 years now, and it still hasn't popped. And yesterday's NASDAQ, NASCAR deal is a great example of it. So I do think uh, they're uh, situated uh, very well to pull this off. Football is America's unofficial religion or secular religion. Uh, some people say that if college football was ever managed correctly, it could, in fact, be the country's second most popular sport after the NFL. So they've got a great property. If college football, which is very decentralized and disorganized, ever gets their act together, look out. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have a sense of who might be the rotating partners in a scenario like this? Round up the usual suspects, Owen. you got Fox. You've got NBC Sports. you got CBS Sports. You've got Amazon, which is absolutely besotted with sports these days. Uh, it has Thursday Night Football and it just got NASCAR. And you've got Apple. So, I mean, they could have anywhere from, you know, five to seven major bidders uh, competing with ESPN. And I, I also think what's was uh, interesting last year, uh, Owen, Jimmy Pitaro of ESPN said that he would be flexible about sharing the rights. In other words, it's not uh, – it has to be all ESPN all the time. ESPN, as a cost-cutting gesture, would be open to sharing some rights. Of course, they'd like to keep the national championship game. Who wouldn't? But we'll see. Yeah. And, you know, in naming off those usual suspects, you pretty much named everyone in the NASCAR deal. So Fox, NBC, <laughs> Amazon and Warner Bros. Discovery, which is you know TNT, essentially. Um, a- any observations there? This kind of feels just like your standard package these days for when when you get a new set of media rights. Yeah, I, I think there's two observations which uh, apply across the industry. One, all of these new uh, media rights deals are going to have a streaming component. Uh, As a result of NASCAR's deal with Amazon, they're going to be streaming races exclusively for the first time. 
just like Thursday Night Football in the NFL. Second, what these leagues are trying to do, a la the NFL again, is have multiple media partners. The more media partners you have, the bigger your overall rights fees are and the more leverage you have because you can play them off against each other. So here in this deal, you had new players coming in, Amazon, Warner Brothers Discovery Sports, uh, players who hadn't done business with uh, NASCAR, but now they're in business with them now. And just on that Amazon point, it feels like it's usually them when we talk about an exclusive streaming partner. I mean, with an ESPN deal, you can at this point probably expect an ESPN Plus and the same for uh, you know other major networks that have an associated streaming service. But when it comes to sports rights, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it feels like it's usually Amazon. You know, we have Google that got Sunday Ticket. Apple has MLS and a couple other things. But it feels like Amazon is just gobbling up everything else. Amazon is uh, in the pole position here. Uh, Apple is very different from uh, Amazon in that Apple wants total control. They want to you know, have the whole league under their thumb. MLS is a perfect example, right? Uh, also, from what I hear, Apple is very involved in the production. Uh, Amazon, on the other hand, is willing to play in the sandbox with the other kids. They're willing to just have one toy. They don't need all the toys. And they source out the production, uh, as they did uh, with Thursday Night Football, to professionals. So there's two very different approaches here to live sports, which is why I think Amazon is by far in the lead over Apple. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Mike McCarthy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Sports Illustrated is trying to get back to gaining public attention for what they say, not how they produce their content. Check out Wednesday's episode on their alleged use of AI to write product reviews if you need a refresher on the latter point. On Thursday, they got back to business with their annual Sports Person of the Year issue, selecting Deion Sanders for that honor. And, you know, it's a defensible pick. But it would have looked a lot better in September after Colorado stunned TCU in their season opener and went on to a 3-0 start. For a stretch there, Dion was the story. It looked like he had this rare winning touch that had transformed a team that went 1-11 the previous year into a force to be reckoned with almost overnight. Since then, however, the Buffaloes have gone 1-8, losing their last six games, and we've seen a few recruits decommit from Colorado. Lionel Messi was another option here on how he brought new levels of attention to American soccer. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan is another option as the person in the center of all the chaos in the golf world. And Travis Kelsey, in 2023, won a Super Bowl, has the top-rated sports podcast, hosted SNL, and brought Swifties to the NFL. You might be tired of him by now, but that's because he's been everywhere this year. Turkish soccer players have been swept up in what's essentially a cartoon financial scandal come to life. A Turkish banker named Cecil Ersan went from nearly going bankrupt to starting a fund that promised 250% returns. The fund was called the Terim Fund, named after former AC Milan coach Fatih Terim, who Ersan said was an early investor. Terim has not confirmed or denied anything at this point, but his name may have helped lure other soccer players, such as former Inter Milan midfielder Emre Belasoglu and former Barcelona midfielder Arda Turan, who invested $13.9 million and said he lost around $7.5 million. There were some signs that not everything was above board here. The biggest one was probably that money was being transferred using actual bags of cash. In at least one instance, a bag of cash was transferred from one party to another at a candy shop. One investor was suspicious enough to put a tracking device in one of these bags, which they claim made its way to a previous investor, which is not how an investment fund works, but is how a Ponzi scheme works. Ersan is now being investigated for all this, and during her testimony, she summed up the situation quite well, saying... 
People who bring me cash come in with a bag, and they leave with an empty bag. Up next, I spoke to Ed McCaffrey, who has witnessed the league evolve both through his own playing career and now that of his kids, namely Christian McCaffrey. We talked about the life of a football player, past and present, Christian's own progression, and what it was like when he got traded. That conversation is coming up next. All right. Very excited to be joined now by Ed McCaffrey. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, Owen. Good to be on the show. Yeah, great to have you. Um, I'm wondering, you know, you've been, you know, watching your son, Christian McCaffrey, be an MVP candidate on a top team this year. I'm just wondering how you've been enjoying the season so far. Um, You know, it's been great. Lisa and I have four boys. Our oldest son, Max, is uh, coaching with the Miami Dolphins. Kind of saw a quick little cameo of him on Hard Knocks, which was kind of fun. Uh, Christian is absolutely loving his team and his teammates in San Francisco. And I think we all know they have a pretty special team and uh, have enjoyed every minute of it. Um, Got my son, Dylan. He's no longer playing football, working in corporate America. And then uh, our youngest son, Luke, is um, he's a junior declaring for the draft this year. He plays wide receiver at Rice University. So our weekends are pretty packed. We're at at multiple games every week. So um, we've gotten to, I think, nine of the Rice games. All of the 49er home games, a couple of away Rice games, Miami Dolphins games, a couple Broncos games because we live here in Colorado. Still a diehard Bronco fan. So weekends for us are filled with football in the fall. Holidays are quiet. You know, we can't get everyone home for Thanksgiving or the holidays, but um, but we have a lot of fun. It's, a, you know, the falls are very exciting for us. Yeah, yeah. It's so much going on. Um yeah, there's actually, a, I'm curious about all those different aspects, you know, through your, your various sons. Um, in terms of um, that that process of getting ready for the draft, you know, have you been able to, you know, advise as your, your son there on, you know, what that's like? Has he gotten guidance from uh, from Christian or, or maybe from Max on get, going through that process? Yeah, for sure. You know, I've trained guys to get ready for the draft for the last 20 years. And I'll still do that uh, to this year. A bunch, you know, four or five guys that want to work with me to get ready for the combine and their pro days in the draft. I really enjoy doing it, and I've certainly enjoyed doing it with my sons, Max, who played in the NFL um, for several years before he decided to get into coaching. Christian, I enjoyed really working with him, especially on the route running aspect of his pro day and getting ready for the combine and doing the speed training and the whole thing. And, uh, you know, worked with, I'm going to work with Luke. They'll probably be in a bowl game here. I'm not sure what date yet. And then train him to get ready for the combine and the draft. Um, but now that Luke, who's the youngest of four has older brothers, he's got more than one person working with him. You know, he's, he's got Max to lean on and Christian and, he's a pretty smart kid. He kind of soaks it all up and figures out what makes the most sense for him. But our whole entire lives have been about, you know, football, family and fun and faith and all the F's. And, uh, and so, um, Luke's kind of lucky in that he can learn from not just me, but his, his older brothers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if Christian's evolution as a player has sort of I mean, it seems to have kind of map with the evolution of the running back. I mean, partly running backs are, are devalued um, compared to what, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You know, the the game has changed in terms of being more passing focused. Um, and, um, you know, and the, the, mon- the money that they used to get is going toward quarterbacks, it's going toward linebackers. It's, it's you know, finding other spots. And 
part of what makes him unique is that, yeah, he, he's also kind of a receiver. He can, he can sort of bring other elements to that game. I'm wondering if you've seen the economics of the game affect his game. No, I don't think, I don't think the economics have affected his game. I think his, I think the rules have affected how people value the running back position for sure. But he's always been the same player and he ran between the tackles at Stanford and was up for Heisman. He probably ran between the tackles more than any back in the country uh, that year. So um, he's always been a running back, but I think he has a unique skill in that he's also a receiver. And I think that's valued more today, you know, back in the three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, run, run, pass when you have to uh, years, you know, you did just want a thumper. You didn't need a back that could catch passes out of the backfield. And then teams slowly started shifting towards, well, if we're going to pass on third down, we'll have a, a different running back go in, right? We'll have our third down back. And now the NFL, because of the rules and the, the acceleration of the passing game, now teams are valuing running backs that have both skill sets. Those are the guys that are going to be um, you know, you look at Bajan Robinson in Atlanta, that's a back that can catch the ball to the backfield and, and run between the tackles. Like those are going to be the backs picked in the first round moving forward. Those are going to be the highest paid backs in the league moving forward. Cause you don't need two different backs or three running backs to, to do the job of one. You have one guy that can do it all. And those are the backs moving forward that are going to be the most valuable in the NFL. So I don't think that skill set has been devalued. Like we can get into salary, uh, salary cap talks and and franchise tag talks. And, you know, that's just a system put in place for the owners to protect themselves from paying players too much. And, and so, you know, if you happen to be a running back or a tight end, you, you could be one of the best players in the league and be getting paid way more money if there wasn't a franchise tag, because teams do value you as a player because they know you can help them win. Um, But because of the way it's structured certain positions, because there's not a lot of great ones at that position um, that can do everything, um, are playing for less than they would have in a completely free market. But, um, but, but you know, Christian, thankfully, has the skill set that teams are looking for and that the 49ers were looking for, which is why they signed him. And the reason is when you have a back that can do everything, um, you don't have to substitute. It makes it harder for teams to know whether you're going to run, whether you're going to pass, whether you can split a guy out at receiver. Now, you know, you know, changes your coverage. You're going to leave a linebacker on him. You're going to get toasted probably, right? So now, you know, do you bring a nickel? You have to decide your personnel. You have to decide your coverage. You have to decide your front. And then what I think makes San Francisco special is they have another pretty good player in Debo Samuel. He can do a lot of the same. Debo's a receiver, running back. Christian's a running back receiver. But now Debo can take handoffs out of the backfield. And I think Coach Shanahan and John Lynch, the GM, saw that when they brought in Christian. You know, you call it for a force multiplier. Well, Debo's a force multiplier. Christian's a force multiplier. Like with both of them on the field, it makes everyone else better. And you got George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk. And so – in the NFL, more than any other level, it's about mismatches. How do you create mismatches? And having running backs that you can leave on the field every down helps you to create those mismatches and, and also helps the other players on the field become better because they get a lot of attention, especially in the passing game. Yeah, and it feels like teams are, are paying for unpredictability too. Like, is Christian going to run? Is he going to is he going to catch a pass? Is the quarterback going to run? Like, when the the less you know, even just from looking at how they're setting up, you know, I think it's helping teams be more productive offensively. Um, I mean, this is a super broad question, but I'll, I'll toss it to you anyway. Other than the evolution of the running back, 
I'm just wondering, like, when you watch football today and you think about your time as a player, what kind of stands out to you as the biggest shifts in the game? What's what's sort of just a whole new thing for you? Well, player safety. You know, I played in a day and age where there weren't a lot of rules to protect players. You know, I played with, and again, I played against, you know, John Lynch and Brian Dawkins and these other great players who, you know, were on NFL crunch course and, uh, you know, led with their head on every tackle because it was legal. They didn't, they weren't doing anything wrong, but they tried to decapitate players. And, you know, I remember, gosh, I remember Jim McMahon back in the day getting picked up and body slammed on his head, no penalty. And so I'm, I'm totally in favor of player safety. Like sometimes it kind of hurts me a little bit when former players, uh, you know, talk about the good old days. I promised I'd never be that guy, right? Because the guys before me had it harder than I did, right? And I heard a lot of them were bitter and like, oh, we didn't get paid as much. And, you know, we didn't have these rules when I played. And and I, I would listen to those old guys and think, God, man, you were a great player. How could you possibly be bitter? Like you got to play in the NFL. You did make good money. I know it's not what it is today. And yeah, the rules have changed, but they're good changes, right? They're trying to protect human beings, from getting killed or decapitated or paralyzed or whatever. And, and make and so most of the best players can stay on the field longer. So I'm all in favor of the player safety rules. I, I know there's challenges regarding the interpretation of them. And that's something that hopefully will get better over time with officiating. But I'm for the player safety rules. And on the both the player safety thing and also people talking about the good old days, which in this case is not very far back. Tom Brady recently made some comments about, you know, play, you know, quarterbacks don't know how to protect themselves. Like that's that's why we're seeing all these injuries is, you know, players don't know how to get tackled. I, I don't remember word for word what he said, but that was the basic sentiment of, you know, it, it's not it's it's the player's fault for for getting injured in so many words. Uh, I was wondering if you had any response to that. Yeah, first of all, I have so much respect for Tom Brady, not just as a player, but he signed my son's autograph one time. The Patriots played in Denver and they lost. It's after the game. And I know what it feels like when you lose on the road and you're leaving the locker room and you're in your suit and you're sweaty and you just want to get to the bus and some kid comes up and asks for an autograph. And I don't ask for autographs at all from anyone, but certainly um, not for my kids either. And so I said, well, if you want it, you got to go ask them. And I immediately panicked. I thought, oh my goodness. What if he says, no, it's going to crush my kid. Uh, but he signed it. I'm like, man, he earned some respect for me forever for, for signing that autograph. Um, and obviously as a player, you know, he's a goat, right? But some of the rules that were changed regarding player safety were literally because of him, right? Um, he got injured and they changed the rules regarding tackling quarterbacks low. And uh, they, they changed other rules. Um, for quarterbacks because of him. And I think the reason was the NFL wanted Tom Brady to play as long as humanly possible. The guy's fun to watch, man. Who doesn't want to watch him play? I, you know, I tuned in every game I could when he was playing. Um, but, uh, but you know, I don't know. It, I, I can see how some people interpreted it as bitter, right? Like, hey, your records might get broken by Patrick Mahomes and some other players because the rules are different. But everybody gets that. It doesn't make you any less great. You're still the GOAT. Right. Um, and, and I was very appreciative of the quarterbacks that I played with, so, you know, John Elway being one of them, who I caught the most passes from, who protected me. He did throw a lot of balls into the dirt so that I didn't get decapitated by a safety. He did protect me and my teammates. And, I, and that's why when you look back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the further you go back, the lower the completion percentage. And so you wonder, or is it just because quarterbacks more accurate. Well, some of them are more accurate because they grew up playing seven on seven from the time they were born. Right. But, but mostly it's like the rules changed and now quarterbacks, they do throw footballs that they wouldn't have thrown 
25 years ago because you would have got your receiver killed. Um, finally, I wanted to ask you um, about uh, Christian getting traded from the Panthers to the Niners. Certainly, you know, seems like a positive development given the trajectories of those two franchises. But, you know, getting traded, it's I have to imagine that's that's a hard experience. Um, and I'm just, just wondering, you know, what, what that was like for for him and your family. Yeah, it was pretty traumatic. Um, it was such an just an interesting development because we didn't know that he was going to get traded until a couple weeks before the trade. Once they lost a couple in a row and then they fired their head coach, we're like, okay, anything can happen now. And they, you know, they had a new, recently had a new owner a year back. And so, you know, you get a new owner, you know, changes are going to happen. Then the coach gets fired. Then you're thinking, okay, you know, nobody's completely safe. Um, then we heard rumors and we figured it, you know, it looks like he's going to get traded, but we didn't know where, um, People think they tell you, but think if you're a GM, you're not telling anyone if you're in the hunt for a player because you just ups the price for that player. So you try to keep it pretty secretive. So nobody would tell us, including the Shanahan's, because uh, Kyle and, and, and John Lynch um, aren't going to tell anybody, including their family, because it's a pretty big business deal. Uh, but then once once he got tra- and it felt weird for Christian, right, because he's practicing all week, getting ready for a game. He's literally practicing, getting ready for a game thinking he's playing for the Panthers, not knowing if he's going to trade. And then he gets traded. It's like, oh, I've been literally just taken almost off the field. Uh, and then I got to fly out and get ready for a game. They weren't going to play him, but he was adamant he didn't want to miss a game. He's like, I want to play. So so he didn't even practice with the 49ers before they played the Chiefs. He took reps with Brock Purdy, went through all the plays with Brock Purdy, who was the backup at the time, which, which is an interesting story in and of itself. Um, and then uh, played against the Chiefs without even knowing the playbook. But he learned it that fast. Um, he might've made a mistake or two, but he was on the field and, and participating. And then they went on a 12 game run, like they won 12 in a row and he was just in heaven. I mean, just fit perfectly into that offense. Coach Shanahan knows how to use him. He's got great teammates and, and that's what he's always hoped for, um, to, to be around other great players. And it was a senior led team, right? They have Trent Williams and, and Kittle and guys on that team that have been around who Funga, Fred Warner, Armstead, all these guys that like, they've been there for a while. He's not going to this new team that's completely under transition, changing coaches, changing coordinators, changing quarterbacks, change, you know, revolving the roster every year, which was what was happening in Carolina. Look, it is what it is. There's an ownership change. There's a GM change. There's multiple head coaches changes. They started a new quarterback every year that he was there to start the season. And now you're with an established team with great players and great coaching um, who's going to help bring you in to help them become better. They're already good but we want to become better. But, you know, he got in the locker room and until he met the guys, right, you don't know. So then once he got in the locker room, he's like, oh my gosh, this is, this team is unbelievable. So much talent and these guys are dialed in. Um, But one of the things he did have to do is he had to go introduce himself to head coach Kyle Shanahan because there's been some history with me and, and Mike Shanahan and Lisa and Peggy and we've known the family and I played nine years in Denver. We won some Super Bowls together and so there's a lot of talk about the history there, but Christian didn't know Kyle and Kyle didn't know Christian. So they had a meeting and head coach Shanahan met with Christian, their new acquisition. And they probably talked for 30, 45 minutes about you know what football meant to them, how he was going to be used on this team, what the expectations were uh, from Christian's perspective, from coach Shanahan's perspective. And, and, you know, one of the things they said is, look, I know there's been a lot of talk about our families and our history, but we don't know each other. Like, this is the first time we're meeting. I want you to know about me and I want to know about you. I mean, I think Kyle helped his sister Crystal babysit Christian when he was four, but Christian doesn't remember that, right? I mean, I was he was four. So 
I thought that was really interesting because I guess even I assumed, you know, without thinking too much about it, there was more history there than there was, but there was zero history as far as them working together. But Lisa and I were ecstatic. We're like, oh my goodness. Like I know the 49ers. I played there in 94. We won a Super Bowl. Um, I know Jed York. He's an unbelievable owner who will do whatever he has to do to help build his team. I know John Lynch, who I played with at Stanford. I know Kyle and what he's done throughout his career, Coach Shanahan, because I followed him. Um, all the great players they had on that team. I knew Bobby Turner's running back coach and Anthony Lynn, who I played with, who'd be working directly with Christian. And I thought that there couldn't possibly be a better situation for him than playing for the 49ers. Yeah. Well, Ed McCaffrey, appreciate all these insights. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Owen. That's it for today. Subscribe to the show on the podcast platform of your choice or tell a friend about the show. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you on Monday.